Um, We've been taking a journey through the book of Romans, and if you're new to us, or I know some people have just started to join our congregation in the last few weeks, uh, we've been pushing our way through verse by verse in the book of Romans. We started off by thinking about the whole concept of, of that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The banner cry which we gather around in battle is that we know that we can do nothing to gain salvation, and yet his righteousness deals with our unrighteousness. And that we don't have to pedal harder to be Christians. We can step back and allow the Spirit of God to come and fill our lives. And this is not a faith, a religion of our works and our effort. It is a faith that we have by the power of Christ transforming our lives in that. And so we're no longer an enemy to God. We have been welcomed by God and we've moved from Adam into Christ. Adam was the curse. Adam was all that was in sin and death and separation and pain. And yet the glorious thing that happened was that we are now in Christ and you are empowered. You are accepted. You are loved by God. Religion never does it. This is not just a, uh, an alternative to a religious way, it is far superior to religion. See, religion does not change the inner heart. Religion does not get of the Pharisee that is within our lives. Religion does not transform a man into what Jonathan Edwards called the mega miracle. The mega miracle is that moment when, when Christ has brought salvation into your life. This miracle, Paul indicates, is even a greater miracle than the whole of creation itself. You and I, who have discovered the Lord Jesus Christ, we have experienced salvation, and that salvation is a mega miracle. And when you get up in the morning, I want to remind you that the gospel has worked in your life, and it is a mega miracle that you are saved, that the corrosion and the death of sin has been taken away, that you were once a refugee, And you are lost, but you've been welcomed to a new kingdom where you have been given status, identity, sonship, daughtership, authority, and power. And Paul knew in Romans chapter 8 that religion did not work because he was the most fervent of all the religious leaders. Why? Because even though he did his religious routine, he knew that inside he was still corrupted. He still had anger, he still had ego, he still had pride, he still had jealousy, he still had a battle that was going within him and the power of religion never worked for him. Until that day when he was willing to put his flesh to death. In Romans 8, when it talks about flesh, it does not talk about our physical flesh. This is the wild horse of our inner nature that grabs hold of us and creates havoc and problems within our lives. But he teaches us that there are only two kinds of Christians in the world. There are those who are of the flesh, if you like, and those of the spirit. Those that set their mind on things above. Those that dwell on God. Those that center on God. Those that love God. Those that are willing to live a life by the Spirit. And the challenge we have from Romans 8 
is that we are not Christians who are led by the flesh, our inner hidden desires, but we are led by the Spirit where God clears us out and transforms our lives. He gives us purpose. The Holy Spirit comes and lives with us and journeys with us and travels with us. It is immense truth that we have that he is present within our lives. Until that day, our mortal bodies are corrupt. We are dying. But he promises that by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead on Easter morning, every one of us will one day have an Easter morning and our bodies will rise again. We will be changed. It's the same spirit that created the heavens and the earth. The same spirit that did the mega miracle within your life. The same spirit that that will raise you from the grave and give you eternity. And it's the same spirit that birthed the church on the day of Pentecost. It's amazing. And now we're at verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of the God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. I want to talk to you this morning about the idea of assurance in your salvation. Assurance. How do we know when there's assurance taking place within our lives? How do we know that God has brought that salvation and brought assurance within our lives? Three things I want to share with you that indicate from this scripture that brings us a deep sense of assurance that God is at work in our lives. See, we've moved from the darkness of the night to the glorious sunshine of God's salvation. We can choose as Christians to be a cork bubbing around on the water or you can choose to be a spiritual battleship that knows where it's going and all that God has given you. What are you going to be? You're going to be a cork, a message in a bottle, wondering where you'll land up or are you going to be empowered by the power of God on a journey with courage and strength? So how does one know assurance? How does one experience the knowledge that when I look at who I am, I know that I'm assured that the grace of God and the salvation has come into my life? Is it as simple as three spiritual laws as often? Is it as simple as praying a sinner's prayer and you get your ticket to heaven? Now, I've led thousands of people in the sinner's prayer. I've preached through generations now, 32 years I've preached the gospel of seeing and inviting people to be saved and seeing people transformed by the power of of the gospel. But how do you know that moment wasn't just a moment of emotion whereby it was like you decided to do something because it sounded quite good but nothing actually changed in your life for whatever reason? How do we have assurance? This scripture tells us this. Three areas we can know about assurance. The first one, I want you to notice the phrase, led by the Spirit. Those that can be assured of salvation at work within their lives are those that are led by the Spirit. What do I mean by this? 
I mean that your Christianity is not static, but your Christianity is moving. You may not be a Christian here this morning, so let me explain it. When I became a Christian, I began a journey, and that journey changed me that I suddenly became aware of all of the battles within my character. All of the problems that the young Phil Collins experienced, all of my lust, all of my anger, all of my frustration, all of my fears, all of my insecurities. And the earlier verse in verse 13 deals with the word mortification. And you know when salvation has reached your heart because you are not willing to tolerate these things in your heart anymore. You recognize them. Often people say to me, Phil, I I was fine before I became a Christian, but now I've become a Christian, I've got all of these problems. I feel bad when I lose my temper with the kids. I feel bad when I think a certain way. I feel conviction in my heart. That is a sign that salvation has visited you and you are being led by the Spirit because there's a desire for mortification, for the chopping off, for the killing and the destroying of the old nature so that the nature of Christ can rule within your life. So are you moving forward in your Christianity or are you static? Led by the Spirit does not mean that you have to be perfect. We're all sinners saved by grace. It doesn't mean that you've got to have it all together. It doesn't mean that you don't face the bogs and the swamps and the difficulties of life. Where you feel you're sinking, where you feel you're failing, where you feel like you are pushing against tough times. I'm not talking about perfection. What I'm talking about is that even though you are in the bog of sometimes the trenches of life and failure and problems, you are still aware that the Spirit desires things of you and you are willing to battle on and let Jesus Christ do his work within you. Because many of us battle The battle is not the problem because we all have to battle against the flesh. The sign of assurance of salvation is that the things you're battling with, you're aware of. And you know that you need Jesus Christ to utterly transform those things. You need him to do it. It is called sanctification. It means that I'm, not ha- I'm an old man here, but here God gives me potential. He changes my character. St. Augustine, the brilliant theologian of North Africa, who has uh, recently, one, one preacher called him a tomcat with no morals, who got converted, his mother, uh, uh, Monica, and of course, the, the, his whole life, he lived a, a playboy life, a wild life, a brilliant intellectual Amazing ability to cut and think through theology in his great uh, confessions. He said this. He said, you know when you've met a man. You know when you've met a man who desires love, seeks love. You know when you've met a man who is hungry I'm thirsty for God like a man in the desert. You know when you've met a man who has yearning 
You can tell the difference, he says in his writings, when I meet a man who is, is seeking love, who is yearning for God, who is hungry for the kingdom, who is so thirsty that he even feels like he's in a desert, but he's longing to touch the springs of the kingdom of God. Oh, that's the kind of man that, that, that God is at work in your life. And if you are a person that yearns, you are a person that hungers, you are a person that desires the love of God, you are a person who, who has that deep desire for more and more of God, then I can say that you are truly being led by the Spirit because the Spirit will always lead you to the glory of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You're on that journey. Are you yearning? He said, but if you meet a man with a mountain of a heart that is full of frost, a frosted heart, you know that as well. Because you see no yearning. You see no longing. You see no hunger. You see no thirst. You see no desire. You just see a frosted heart. So who are we in this narrative? Are you a man, a woman, who yearns for God even in your failings and battles and garbage of life? Or are you a person who has wandered in here and you know that you've got a frosted heart towards the things of God? You can be assured of salvation when you look at your life and go, boy, I'm being led by the Spirit. I'm moving forward because I want to change. I need that. Second area you can notice from this scripture, one who is led by the Spirit. The second one, the Spirit you receive does not make you a slave. You are no longer a slave so that you will live in fear again. I'd like to replace this word fear with the word dread. That you move from dread of God, dread of religion, fear of all these things to a very beautiful and special word. Delight. You see, you know when God is at work in your life, Paul teaches us, because you're no longer dreading God, but you delight in God. Wow. How many of us do not want to be in that place where I delight in God in my life. That I delight in that presence. That I want to know him. I want to come close to him. I want to experience the delight. Even as the Godhead delight in each other. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Even as they dance together through eternity in the love of God. Christianity is about moving forward and being transformed. And it's about a delight, a very real delight in God. That you move from a slave to you move to, to from fear to you move to light. By which you become sons. And by him we cry, Abba Father. Daddy. Intimacy, a closeness. I remember 
when I was at uh, elementary school in the 70s. I had a school teacher. And this particular uh, school teacher, Mr. Davis, terrified me. I mean, he was a teacher in the 70s. He'd, he'd bark his orders, come in. Okay, boys, stand up, please. Oh, he'll stand up. Say, Collins, you're not doing... Stand still. Stand still, Collins. Come over here. Stand in that corner, okay? Stuart, stand in that corner. By the end of the class, we're all in corners. <laughs> if you're in trouble, around the head. It was the 70s. It was a dangerous time to go to elementary school. <laughs> now it's a dangerous time for teachers. And, and, I, and he, he was a... I found him severe. <clears throat> I found him difficult. I... I had to tiptoe around him. Yes, Mr. Davis. No, Mr. Davis. Of course, Mr. Davis. My mom did a strange thing. She got quite friendly with Mr. Davis. And one day she came back and announced to me that Mr. Davis had a son, my age, who was coming up. He was estranged from his wife, Mr. Davis. And so so would I play with his son? And I was seven, eight years old and nodded. I had a play date, got on really well. That was very nice, never thought anything. And then my mum said, I've arranged for the weekend coming that you travel to Mr. Davis's house just outside of London and spend the weekend with him. Like, what? I mean, who arranges that? <laughs> my mum, I guess. Now, I said, but mom, he's horrible. Mr. Davis, I've got to spend the, Mr. Davis, don't you worry, it'll be fine, you'll have a good time. You're going to spend, he's, he's got his son for the weekend, he wants another one of the lads, it'll be fine. I mean, <laughs> child protection. Um, but uh, everything was cool in that, you know, but, oh, who, you know, I was just thinking, oh no. I was thinking more, he is Mr. Davis, the teacher. The authority, the dread in my life, the fear mongerer. The 1973 teaching style. So I go across and I land there and I'm dropped off and, um, and his son runs in and he starts to talk. He doesn't call him Mr. Davis. He calls him Daddy. And Mr. Davis picks up his son, swings him around, pats me. He says, we're going to have a great weekend. I've arranged for us to go on some hikes. We're going to go and find um, uh, different rocks and flint. And then we find the flint, because this is very famous for flint. We're going to build hunter-gatherer axes together and and go hunting in the woods with our flint and our bows. And we're going to do this. It was an awesome weekend. He said, at the back of the house is an old Roman road. We'll walk along the Roman road and we'll find flint and we'll get a collection and we'll have all of this. And his son was like, Daddy, Daddy, brilliant. Oh, I'm going, oh, Mr. Davis is now Daddy. Why do I tell you that simple story? Because we've gone from seeing God as the school teacher in Galatians and the law that comes down and condemns us to being welcomed into the home and adopted as sons and daughters whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It's no longer dread. 
it is delight. That is the move that the Spirit moved in the ancient world. The Spirit rested on kings and prophets. It rested on particular individuals like judges. But today on this Pentecost we remember that the Spirit was poured out on all flesh. Sons and daughters, men and women, slave and free. We will all prophesy, have dreams, have a presence of God within our lives like we've never had it. Which means of an intimacy and a delight. Jesus taught Abba. He prayed, Abba, uh, so clearly in Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 36, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if it's possible, Father, Abba, 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 let this cup, let this cup go from me. In Mark, in Matthew 6, verse 9, he said, Our Father, this is how you should pray, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. And Paul carries on the Jesus theology of intimacy into his theology of Romans 8, whereby we have been adopted and whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You see, religion is stern. The Jews couldn't even use the name of God in its fullness in case they experienced the sin of taking God's name in vain. But what Christ achieved is that we can go far deeper, far closer, that the Christian faith is about delight and intimacy. You are sons and daughters. There's a kind of weird Christianity that is religious and reverent that isn't biblical. Because it denies the closeness, the whisper, the intimacy that exists within our Christian life. So it becomes quite cold, quite rigid, quite aloof. That's not what the cross was there for. Christ died so that the veil of the temple could be ripped in two and so that you could delight in God. How are you doing with the delighting? Are you dreading or delighting? If you're not a Christian, I'm trying to describe to you that the relationship with God is the most beautiful thing whereby you're being led by his presence to see you emerging into the person that God designed you to be. I'm saying to you that when you become a Christian, there is a tender delight of intimacy between you and the creator God that has been achieved through the death of Christ. My little boy, Josiah. We, we, boys are great, aren't they? I love girls as well. I've got three. But he's my last one. He's 11. And, and we're not planning any more babies. Are we? And um, I, I, there's times when I go, oh, like right now with Lucy, I just, oh, yes. Let's, mm. but it's, so I've got my little boy, and we, we watch things together, we fish together, we, we, we chopped a tree down together the other day, and uh, he earned a few dollars. It's just so, so nice. But he talks to me with such amazing closeness. He'll grab my face and he'll pull it. And he's still 11 and he'll... I don't know how long is this going to last. 
but I'm enjoying it now. But if he walked in and started to talk to me like this, Daddy, actually, Daddy, I'm no longer going to call you Daddy. I'm going to call you Pastor Phil. <laughs> Pastor Phil, are we going to take the tree down today? Verily, verily, I say unto you, Pastor Phil, I will help you if it be your will. I'm like, stop it. You're my son. I love you. I love it when you are intimate and close and loving to me. When we lie on the sofa and watch the Avengers together. When we, I love it. And there's a form of Christianity that takes away the intimacy and replace it with an unbiblical, an unbiblical harshness that does not exist. We all need to fear the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is not like a rattlesnake in a room. The fear of the Lord is like standing next to Niagara Falls and going, this is amazing. I am humble." Finally, it testifies, by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is a glorious, glorious um, revelation of mystery within the life of a believer that deep down within us, no matter what the world may throw at us, no matter what philosophies and ideas Something within us witnesses that God is present within our lives. Christianity is a religion of revelation. You don't work to get it, but you seek God and his salvation comes to you. And you groan, you witness it, that your hard heart... As, as Romans 5, 5 says, he pours his love within your life. He comes and melts that frozen heart and pours that glorious love into your life. And that it is there. Oh, it's so beautiful. So amazing. That I had a hard heart and yet he poured his frozen. It was Spurgeon that preached he said, give me a man, give me a man who longs after God. Show me a man who is willing to be pant for the very presence of God in his life. Give me a man who is willing to seek the face of God. You can tell a man who is willing and eager to seek God and to know God. The great Baptist preacher. Exactly the same reflections of the great Augustine reflecting. You can tell when somebody is really passionate about God. You can tell. So assurance. Somebody comes and sits with me. The very fact that they're asking about assurance often indicates that God is doing a massive work in their life. Assurance comes well, by you knowing that you're on a journey with Jesus and you want to change. Assurance is there because there's a tenderness and a delight in the things of God. Assurance is there because there's a manifest witness within inside of who you are. 
You know, I remember in England one year they all launched a big series on debunking the Gospels, talking about the Gospel of Peter and the Gospel of Philip and all of the Gnostic teachings and how this deproves the integrity of the Gospels. And I was a little bit nervous watching these documentaries and it was all nonsense and I've furthered, you know, studied theology throughout my life and I know how, how, how weak these arguments are, how they do not stand up historically or anything like that. And yet I know that the Gospels that we have are so rigorous, are so true, that are God-breathed. I know that by the, the immenseness of them. And there they were trying to debunk it all. I sat there watching them trying to debunk the Christian faith. I thought, well, that's interesting. I need to really look into that. But it never shook me for a moment. Because I just sat there and I thought for a moment, but I know, I know that the Spirit testifies within me. And it doesn't matter what a Channel 4 documentary may write or say in a kind of non-academic and trivial way. Nothing will shake my faith in Jesus because I have the witness within my heart. That's what you've got. It testifies. The Spirit of God within you preaches to you. It encourages you. It reminds you that you are alive in Christ. And you know it's there. You know it's real. You know it's there working. So let's finish. Three things I think you should do. I should do. We all need to do. Number one, from this lesson we learn, the truth is this, is that real deep spirituality flows out of a humility towards God. A humility that is present, a humility that is at work, a humility that fills us. Isn't it there in the great Beatitudes, in Matthew Five, verse 3, it talks about this in the most blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. We have to humble ourselves. We have to say every day, I can't do this, Jesus, without you. Humility. The second area, as Philippians talks about this, Philippians 3, 8, I've preached it a little bit this month. We have to be willing to clean out the rubbish and make space for God. See, for the ongoing work of Jesus to be glorified in your life, there are things you've got to lose to gain Christ. And of course, this is a beautiful process of sanctification. That the things I valued, I now am not bothered about. I consider them garbage Every Christian has to live a life to take out the garbage. And the more I minister and the more I experience this last 32 years, I am more convinced that I have to live a life of humility and brokenness, but I have to be willing to keep taking out the garbage within my life and center on Christ. And third, well... I think 
You can only look to the great superstar of the Old Testament with his, his flamboyancy and his strength and his honesty and his intimacy with the Father himself. We have to look at Jeremiah. And of course, Jeremiah 29 verse 13 speaks. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Three things. Humility before God. Take the garbage out. And finally, seek him. Seek him, seek him. And you'll find him. Seek him with all your heart. So I was not perfect when I became a Christian. I was radically imperfect. I was battling the process of transformation and experienced. But the one thing that never has left me since that teenage years when I found Christ was a desire to keep seeking Jesus. Will you join me? Will you join us as a church to seek Jesus? Will we grow? Will you? You haven't done those devotions, but uh, there's a little mantra around this church that we say, you know, read your Bible every day and pray every day. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to pray every day. You've got to be intimate. You've got to journal. You've got to listen. You've got to seek God. Be led by the Spirit, delight in God, and let the witness explode within your heart. Boy, salvation is magnificent. Hallelujah. Let's stand together.